Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Powered by the Sales IQ Network. Are you ready? Let's get to it. What is the definition of customer success? Customer success connects why customers buy your solution, the purchase intent, with what your customers get, the realized value and outcomes, using a proactive and prescriptive customer management approach to reach both your customer and your company's goals. So this is the definition of customer success from Churn Zero. Today's podcast is sponsored by Outreach.io. Outreach is the first and only engagement and intelligence platform built by revenue innovators for revenue innovators. Outreach allows you to commit to accurate sales forecasting, replace manual processes with real-time guidance, and unlock actionable customer intelligence that guides you and your team to win more often. Traditional tools don't work in a hybrid sales world. Find out why Outreach is the right solution at click.outreach.io slash RevEngine. In this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast, Yu Man Sang, the CEO and founder of Churn Zero, shares his thoughts on customer success and how organizations can unlock the power of CS to help their customers be successful, to find value in your offering, and ultimately, lead to better revenue retention and revenue growth. So please take a listen to this serial entrepreneur with multiple successful exits and learn how to drive a better end-to-end customer experience. So super excited to be here today with Yu Man Sang, the founder and CEO of Churn Zero. Uh, Trend Zero is the real-time customer success platform that helps businesses understand how their customers use their product, assess the health and likelihood to renew, and provide the means to automate and personalize that customer experience through timely and relevant touch points. So welcome, Yuman, and thank you for joining me. I am thrilled to learn more about your backstory and just learn from you. Thank you, Rosalind. I'm really glad to be here. Great. Awesome. Well, so, I mean, you've had just an incredible career. I was looking at your background. You know, you've been a serial founder. You've had several successful exits. By the way, I'm still looking for one. <laughs> but a serial, you know, several successful exits in a variety of different industries, right, leading up to Churn Zero. So maybe before we dive into what you're doing today, can you share maybe more about your backstory and just your career journey? Yeah, well, Rosalind, thanks for having me here. So you're right. This is my, Churn Zero is my fourth startup. So I've been an entrepreneur for decades. And what I really love about it is really the innovation. You know, I love creation and growth. And I've I've done B2B, I've done B2C. And then for your audience, most of my last probably two decades have been on the go-to-market side, right? So marketing, marketing analytics, and now customer success. You know, probably the backstory is the most interesting thing is, you know, and you and I were talking about this before the podcast started, was, you know, we're both, you know, sort of children of immigrants. And, you know, one thing I think about is my worldview was actually fairly narrow when I was growing up, right? You know, I was going to be a banker or a lawyer or something like that. And that was, <laughs> you know, incredible thing to do. That's the biggest I ever thought about. 
And, you know, one of the great things about sort of getting into the entrepreneurial life, and those of, those of you in the audience who's interested in it, you, you'll, you'll find that, you know, what you can do, you know, expands, right? And you, and what you, like my first company was, was kind of a small one. And then the second one was bigger and the third one was bigger. And just, I just kept expanding my worldview. And I think for those of you who are sort of, you know, grew up a certain way, you know, my encouragement to you is like, just, you know, just, just think big, right? Cause, cause it's possible here, especially in the United States. So, and I just, you know, a little bit of my backstory, I can go into the details of each, each company, but I think that's, you know, the lesson I've learned from starting so many companies. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, you know, oftentimes when I speak to founders, you know, the company started as a result of, you know, trying to solve a problem or maybe there was some specific challenge, you know, and I read an interview that you did recently where you talked about, you know, having really great insights and tools as a chief marketing officer, but on the CSM side, you know, it was a completely different story. So was this sort of the aha moment that led you to starting the company or was it something else? It was the aha moment. I mean, you know, you're in the RevOps space and you know just the tools that are available now to just understand your <laughs> prospects and understand the sales cycle. And it just, it's it's amazing. And when I was CMO, I had that all, you know, I, I just knew everything about my prospects, you know, what emails they were looking at, you know, did they come to my website? Did they attend my webinar? I just, you know, and I, I knew how to score them. And, you know, they became customers and then and then all of a sudden the tech all went away, right, for our CSM. Our poor CSMs <laughs> had no tech to to manage it. And it was, and that was a very, of course, that was, in some ways, that was a super scary, obvious aha moment. It's like, of course, we should be supporting our customers better than even we, you know, support our prospects. And so it was, it was definitely an aha moment, you know, when I, when I started looking into it. Probably the one thing that scared me the most is like, well, why why aren't people doing this already, right? Like, why you know why is this a missing part of the ecosystem? And so you know, I decided to look into it. And there's a couple of reasons. One is I think customer success is still a relatively new space. When I started the company in 2015, and you know, so a lot of companies still didn't have it. They were building it up for the first time, and so there really was a you know budding movement around customer success, serving your customers in that way. And that sort of, you know, allowed for tech to come in. So I think, you know, a little bit, you know, starting a company oftentimes is not only a good idea, but our, how good is your timing? And I think for us, the timing was also good because customer success was really growing as, as it did. I love that. I love that. You know, I guess maybe along the same lines, you know, can you share a little bit more about, you know, the original vision for the company? And then I guess, how has that changed, right, over the past seven years? Because, you know, you mentioned customer success was sort of just kind of starting out and, you know, obviously it's exploded as well. Yeah, you know, so the original vision, you know, I, I think all my companies, except for Turn Zero, like was would probably be not super recognizable at the end compared to the beginning, right? In the beginning, mm -hmm. you had a theory, you know, as you sort of go into it, you're like you're you're massaging, massaging, massaging it, and then all of a sudden, it's slightly it's either slightly different and sometimes completely different, and that's okay, right? I mean, in fact, I think that's sort of the journey that entrepreneurs take. But then sometimes, you know, it doesn't change at all. So for Turn Zero. You know, last year, actually, we had a big annual conference and I went back to all my very first slide deck for Turn Zero. And I looked at it and I'm like, well, I could I could give this today. Right. And basically the, the premise was that, you know, we want to make sure that your you know, that your customers are engaged, they're successful, they're renewing and they're expanding, you know, their business with you. And, you know, so the, the, the you know, the thesis that we had for Turn Zero, you know, in 2015, uh, 
we can definitely talk about now. Now we've expanded it a bit, right? You know, you know, you know, like most things, right? Our worldview is growing at turn zero. But you know, the good news is that we we really hadn't had to pivot at all from our original vision. I love that. I love that. And I think that kind of feeds into the next point around, you know, customers, right? Because customers are becoming, you know, really smarter, right? We have more expectations, right? Even as consumers, right? They're they no longer, you know, want that vendor, but instead they're really looking for thought leadership. They're looking for that real partnership and a lot of value, right? Value-driven relationships where organizations can, you know, really help them be successful. And I think that's why we've obviously seen this huge rise of customer success, or at least the term of customer success. But I still think that people still confuse the term, right? Sometimes they think it's, oh, is that customer support? You know, is that just service? It's like, what is that? Like a help desk? It's like, which we know is very, very different, you know? And on your website, I saw your definition around customer success as, you know, customer success connects why customers buy your solution, right? Their purchase intent with what your customers get, that realized value and outcomes. You know, using a proactive and prescriptive customer management approach to reach both your customer and your customer company's goals. And I love this. You know, I think I, I thought that was just so great. I'm definitely going to be using that <laughs> and hat tip to hat tip to your company. But, you know, can you share maybe more about your philosophy when it comes to customer success and then how this philosophy has really helped you, you know, retain revenue and also drive revenue growth? That's a great question, Rosalind. We actually been thinking about this ourselves a little bit, you know, you know, in the marketing team, you know, sort of look back on you know, a lot of what our customers have said about us and then, you know, what and how we sort of build our product. And the, and the way we think about it is, look, I mean, if, if most of the, most of your listeners are probably in the SaaS world, right? And mm-hmm. and so if you are delivering a SaaS service, a SaaS product, you're really thinking about your product and your service, right? So your product and your service. And then your, you know, the partnership that you have with that c- customer. Now, you know, for companies like Turn Zero, we really lean on both, right? So we have, you know, you have to have a really good product that people use, but, you know, we actually have a platform, right? And so our CS team also helps, you know, with best practices, onboarding, integration, and getting all that data in there, which is, you know, sometimes easy, sometimes not. And it's really the combination of the product and the partnership that is super important for success. I think that really describes probably you know, 60 to 70% of all the folks out there. Now, maybe the other 30%, you know, maybe the product is very inexpensive, right? And you can't afford to say, you know, have, you know, you can't you can't really have a huge customer success team. So you maybe have your product be self-serve, you know, you push as much customer success in the product, super easy to use. And then, you know, customer success teams are there, you know, in case you need it, right? But the product comes first. And then there's some companies where, you know, it's almost all, it's service first. And so you really focus on delivering service and then, you know, the product helps out with that. So it's really a common, you know, if you think about your own, you know, customer success team, think about your product, think about the partnership and what do you need to invest in both? And I think that's, you know, a good philosophy to have. And, you know, your mileage will vary depending on what you sell, how complex your product is. But that's really sort of the, what you're selling to the customer, right? Your, you know, their success will be a combination of the, par- the product you have and the partnership that you build with them. I love that. I love that. 
you know, especially, you know, with the challenges, you know, in the economic climate, I mean, over the past few years, it's just been like a roller coaster, right? And I think more than ever, customer retention, customer satisfaction, it's really at the heart of success of every business. You know, you're in an interesting space, as you talked about, because you actually enable organizations to do this better. So maybe what are some of the things that you see organizations, you know, doing really well? Like, what are they doing right? And maybe some of the things that they're doing wrong, too, when it comes to their customer retention efforts. Yeah, you know, it's over the last few years, I think there has been a balance, right? You know, maybe maybe for the first, maybe 10 years ago to maybe five years ago, we've all worshipped on the altar of new sales, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you think about growth, you think about new sales. And only like recently, you know, with the subscription model, you realize, oh my goodness, like like retention is is so important, right? And and it feels super obvious, but for those of us in the software space, that was kind of a slow changing. It used to be that you know, and I don't know if you remember these days, like you know, you sell them software, they paid all upfront, and yeah. if, they, if they used it or not, man, you know, it didn't really matter, right? Because they paid you already. Of course, now with subscriptions, you can't do that anymore, right? And so. Yeah, there really has been a, a, a real change. So in terms, you know, so basically, you, you know, instead of just worshiping on the altar of, of new sales, now, now you have to really think about that revenue retention, gross revenue retention as really important parts. Now, what are people doing right and what are people doing wrong? Um, I do have a piece of advice. If you are, you know, if, you, if, if you're having trouble retaining customers, the first place I always have people look is on onboarding. I mean, that's really the first place. You really need to get that right. Because, you know, as you know, the first impression is important, the most important. And you can survive a bad onboarding, right? You can definitely get out, you know, if, if it's onboards incorrectly, <laughs> you can survive it. But why not get that right in the beginning? And, you know, so if you're trying to figure out, hey, you know, my gross revenue retention is too low, what's going on? I would say, you know, look at onboarding first, right? Because if you get the momentum, get it right, you're, you you are really ahead of the game. That's number one, right? Just, you know, if there's there's the focus point on what you're doing right and wrong. Now, some people, you know, can look at the data, can see exactly where people fall off. Onboard correctly, but they don't get engaged. They get engaged, mm. but, you know, they, they, they don't stay on, right? So there's there's a, there's a lot of reasons if you have the data, but if you don't, look at an onboarding. The other thing I, I think is also important is don't confuse happiness with success. You know, some of your most successful customers are probably your most cranky customers, right? So they're probably not always <laughs> happy, right? But, but you know, they, they're getting something out of your, your product. And some of your happiest customers won't renew. And so I think, you know, a lot of CS teams really confuse happiness with success, right? So happiness would be, oh, I had a great conversation with them. They gave us a good NPS score, but, you know, oh, maybe they're not using, you know, the features that you want them to. Maybe they're not getting the value you want. So so make sure, you, you, you know, when you think about the health of a customer, you know, the happiness certainly matters, right? Because the relationship matters. But are they getting what they expect out of the, the product and the service you're delivering? And that combination of the relationship and the value, right? That's success. Those two things together. Yep. Yep. Love that. I love that. You know, I guess that maybe along the same lines, you know, as a leader in this space, you know, where do you see the market headed? Like, do you, are you seeing any kind of trends or, you know, what are some predictions that you might have? I think there's, I mean, maybe I'll share two things. One, you probably know as well. I think data is now becoming such a weapon, right? And 
And, you know, for a long time, you know, if, well, you know, with RevOps space and CS ops, right, all the ops, you know, one of the things that we see is that, you know, often data is just so bad, actually, you know, everyone, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it, by the way, it's, it, it's no one's fault, actually. It's just, it's just tough to get data right. There's so many systems that are generating so much data. But if you can get control of your data, right, and if you sort of, Think about it from the very first time someone generates a piece of data and goes down a funnel all the way to sale. If you can kind of get a hold of that, that becomes a real weapon, you know, for you. And even in the last seven years, you know, at Turn Zero, you know, they're, you know, everyone's data is 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 really, you know, well, they all have some problems, but I think people now really understand that they have to fix it, right? You just simply cannot run a world-class, well, even not even world-class, like, you know, even like a good SaaS company without getting your data right. So that's number one. Data data is not only, you know, it, it, it's really a weapon in, in order to compete. And then I think the other thing is, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit less concerning now, but last year, the last 12 months, you know, it's, it was so hard to hire people. You know, everybody just was just struggling to to support their customers that, that I think the sort of extreme digital transformation was happening, right? And I don't know if you, you know, you know, go to restaurants these days. And I'm, you know, I, I certainly love it when I can, you know, pay you via a QR code, right? It just seems weird yeah. that someone <laughs> brings over a check for me, for me to put a piece of plastic down, for them to go away and swipe it and bring it back to me. Like, like you can think about that as a small digital transformation that that was accelerated by the pandemic, right? And I think a lot of those things are happening in all sectors, including SaaS, right? All the things that you were doing in CS that, you know, had a human touch, you know, let's just look at all those. You don't, humans are harder to get, they're more expensive. Then, you know, you, you know it's, it's harder to hire them. How do you do extreme digital transformation? So those are two things that I think about data and then, you know, just sort of really accelerated extreme digital transformations, things I see. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think the data piece is just, it's so huge, right? And I I 100% agree with you around just like, even if your data, I guess if we were to survey, nine, you know, 10 companies, I'm sure nine out of the 10 are going to say their data is not great, right? And there might be the one that says it's great, but it's, you know, it could be better. It could be better. It can yes, always yes, be yes, better. exactly. Right? It can always be better. And I'm actually really surprised because from a RevOps perspective, I'm always asking folks, you know, hey, what's your data strategy? You know, what is your data governance model? You know, things like that. And they're like, what, a data strategy? And I remember asking this in a in a forum with about 100 people and we were speaking on a panel about it. And I said, well, how many people have a data strategy? And there was literally one person who raised their hand and one that kind of halfway raised his hand, right? And it was like, you know, people don't really understand that, hey, data is not just a commodity, right? This is like one of your biggest assets in your organization. And as you said, it's really the weapon for you to really, you know, monetize and not just accelerate growth, but just to maintain revenue and do it better, right? And provide a service to your customers. And Rosalind, if you do, and if you do it right, or not even do it right, if you just, just focus on it, yeah. you know, you know, you know, sort of when cracks happen in, in your business, right? You know mm -hmm. early, and if something bad happens, you know what happened. Like sometimes you can't avoid it. Like, oh, I know that's going to happen, and the data is <laughs> going to show me that it happened. But at least, like, you know what happened, and 
you know, it's it's no longer a good excuse to say, well, I don't know, like, why, you know, a lead's dried up. You know, well, you know, be, if you had all the data, you would know that the conversion rate between here and here was your problem, right? Or your close rates went down, right? And if you had all that data, oh, my goodness, you know, it, it, you just run a much better company. No doubt about it. Yeah, super, super powerful to have those insights, right? So... Awesome. Well, you know, as I think about the revenue engine, I think about this podcast, I'm always hoping others will be able to really learn how to accelerate revenue growth, right? And power the revenue engine. So maybe from your perspective, like, you know, what are the top couple, maybe two or three things that you think, hey, all CEOs should really be thinking about today to really help grow and retain revenue? Yeah, you know, maybe maybe I'll talk about it from sort of up times and down times, right? So when, it, when there's uptime, the economy is booming and, you know, you, you're really driving a lot of volume in your leads, you know, you're really focusing on, like, getting that, your share of the volume. You know, are you getting it right? And then you're just, like, doing all you can to, like, you know, get the top of the funnel. And, and, it, and it feels like it's it's all about getting as much as you can. Now, in downtimes, when that kind of dries up a little bit, you know, you, then you focus, you have to optimize on conversions, right? So losing less and less at every, you know, part of the funnel, if you will. And that's because you're just not going to be able to, you, you, you know, in uptime, you can kind of like, okay, let me just spend a little bit more or do another webinar and, you know, leads will come in or whatnot. In downtimes, you know, they're just not quite there. And so you really do have to focus on conversions. So for me, up, you know, when things slow down a little bit in downtimes, that's really a good time for you to focus on sort of, you know, the, all the little conversion methods, you know, in all, all parts of your, your, your pipeline. So I really do focus on that. I just in general, uptime to downtimes, I always, you know, love to invest in what works, right? So every time you look at your budget, you know, these are the things that work, you increase it, but you always have to have several experiments, right? And this is in every department. It's in marketing, it's in sales and CS. Like every year, let's try a few things. We know maybe at least half of them, if not more, will fail, right? But if there's one thing that's interesting, you know, you can go ahead and, and you know, initiate that for the new year, right? Because you're always, you know, most companies are looking for growth. Most companies are looking for optimization. So I do find that if you don't plant those experimental seeds, like you just never, you're always going to do the same thing over and over again. Sometimes it'll stop working and you're like, okay, what happened? You know, you, you just really need to in, in, in experiment. And then, you know, just selfishly, I think you always have to find opportunities in your customer base, especially in the downtime. And so your customers are, you know, even in an uptime, it's always, it's always cheaper to sort of find opportunities within your customer base. But in the downtime, you know, when top of the funnel dries up, you know, it becomes even more of an imperative. So, you know, those are three things. One, you know, just, just focus on, on, on sort of all the conversions and optimization and downtimes. Run experiments all the time. I think that's always important. Maybe 10 to 15% of your budget, especially on the marketing side on experiments. And then also find opportunities in your base, right? So these are things I would focus on. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great advice. I love that. I think the optimization of, you know, definitely is incredibly important. And that's where everyone's trying to do more with less, right? So that's where you can start to really hone in on your processes, your systems, the data, you know, that we kind of talked about a little bit. And that's RevOps, by the way, that's my there plug for revenue operations. <laughs> and then I think, you know, the the testing, I love that because I think people forget to do that. You know, I was talking to a marketer, marketing leader the other day, and we were talking about how you should always be A-B testing things, right? You should always be trying out, even if it's small, but even being able to try some. I love that guidance of sort of 10, 15% of your budget, because otherwise, how are you going to be innovative, right? How do you know what What's working and what's not if you don't try new things. And then, of course, you know, around your customer, I think 
there's so many opportunities that, you know, I think go-to-market leaders miss by not really spending enough time with their customers. You know, we think about even for customers who leave you, really understanding why did they leave? You know, why did they buy to begin with? And why did they leave? Like, what could we have done differently that could have saved this customer? And then be able to feed that information back into your top of funnel, right? So then you bring in customers that are the right right ICP, the right fit for you, that you can really drive the value. And to your point earlier about making sure that they have the right onboarding experience and, you know, just the entire process, I think we don't spend enough time, a lot of organizations talking to the customers and learning from them. So I mean, I they're, love they're that. the ones who bought from you, right? So learn all you can. And I think your important, your important point is even if they leave, learn all yeah. you can. Yeah. yeah, even if they leave, like, why did they leave? And, you know, those become your biggest champions and biggest advocates, right? When you have your customers, I mean, who better than to hear from one of your customers to go talk to one of their peers about why they should be, you know, why they need to be a customer as well. So, Oh, I absolutely. That. I mean, like, usually, you know, by year three, four, five of your company, that's when you get, you know, your second time buyer, your third time buyer. And, you know, and, and if, if you're getting those and you know you've done something right and then you can get pretty excited, right? Because, you know, that's a that's a organic growth engine, you know, that, that won't stop. Love that. I love that. So what about maybe from a C- CEO perspective, like is there one piece of advice that you would maybe give to another CEO or founder or even a revenue leader or sort of that that one thing that you think about that make would make all the difference? Like what would that be? You know, maybe the only thing I would say generically, right, is there's, there's a question I always ask when you have to make big decisions, right, whether it's it's making an investment and, you know, or getting into a new space. Those are some of the big decisions that, you know, you, you tend to have to make as a CEO or, or you know, a founder, or, you know, someone who owns a, a big operation. And that is why this, why now, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, because you, you're in a lot of decisions will come. You'll have, you have a lot, you'll have a lot of investments to make. People are going to ask you all the time, hey, we need to do this and this and this. And these are all good things, right? You should sort of embrace that. But when you're thinking about, you know, whether you're starting a company, like, well, why this company and why now? You know, why me, right? That would be questions you, you have to ask. Or, you know, you know, your CMO comes to you and says, hey, I want to invest in this new, you know, software that's really expensive. It's like, okay, well, why this, why now? And what's it going to do? I think if you ask those questions, especially the now question, I think those are really important questions to answer. If you answer them well, then you can feel confident in the decision that you, you're making. Mm, I love that. I love that. So as we, as we wrap up, but before I let you go, I always ask all the guests, and you may have heard this on different podcasts, but I always ask two things. One, like, what is the one thing about you that others would maybe be surprised to learn? And two, what is the one thing that you really want everyone to know about you? So let's see, surprised to, to learn. You know, I started my, I started my career as an urban and, uh, you know, it seems like I've been in this business for so long, but I actually started wanting to be a urban planner. And I love okay. the job, you know, I, I love sort of cities. I love, you know, sort of the, the sort of the interactions between people and structures and infrastructure. It's all a big part. But you know what I hated about planning was that planners don't actually do a lot. Yeah, you do a lot of planning, <laughs> but like the politicians do all the doing, right? And you're like, and it was, and it was very frustrating as a planner, even though it was intellectually interesting. But you know, it just wasn't for me. 
And I, I went to the opposite, right? You know, startups are all about doing. It's all doing, yeah. doing. There's, some, there's a lot of planning, but it's mostly doing. So I went the opposite way. So that, you know, most people don't know that about, about my history. Oh, I know what is one thing somebody wants. Okay, so I, I tell people <laughs> this, but so my first product management job. So I grew up, you know, so my, my career was I started as a product manager. I had a product called Data Pivot. And uh, do you, are you an Excel user? Muslim. Yes. Do you yep. use pivot tables? Absolutely. <laughs> More great, than great, I want to. <laughs> it, it, it's, a great, it's, a, it's a great feature, right? Right. Guess what? Microsoft stole that feature from, from, from us. They, oh. they, I mean, they, and, and, and by the way, I can say, and, and the reason you know I, we stole it was because when they <laughs> released it, it was on the cover of a magazine called PC Week. And if you took mm. a look at, you know, so when they announced it, we, we saw, oh, you know, Microsoft just copied our feature. Oh my goodness! Great feature, and the reason we knew they copied it was that they used our, you know, our database, which was a wines database for their own example. So they just basically took, you know, our product, and <sighs> our 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 sample data, and then they put, and then they showed it to the world, and it, and it got on the cover. So oh it's just goodness. a great product. I but look, I love the love of pivot tables, you know. But that was, um, you know, I was just really proud of that product. It was such a great product. It was very successful. It was successful for the company. Uh, and but still, now, now, yeah. go on. now it's gone, you know, with Excel and Google. It's just a great, great idea. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I had, would have no idea. And you would think that at least they would change it from wine to something else. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was not. It's not only the, the wines. It was the, the exact. It's like I recognize the same those numbers. Oh, no. Yes, I, I, I recognize all those numbers because you know I would give a demo all the time. Oh, you know, and I put Merlot in, and you know, how many Merlot units you had. It was. It was. It was. It was funny. It was. Not, I mean, it wasn't funny at the time. In retrospect, yeah. No. Yes. Yeah, that yeah. and and to fast forward so many years, everyone uses pivot tables. Everyone uses pivot tables. It's a great, yeah, it's a cool, oh, great oh idea. My goodness. Oh well, thank you for sharing that. That's super <laughs> interesting, and thank you so much for being on the podcast and being a guest and just sharing your insights. I'm incredibly grateful for your time and just learning from you. So thank you. Thank you, Rosalind. Well, great, great conversation. And, you know, you've, you've done a great podcast. Really important subject, too. So, Evan, you mentioned there's, there's nothing more important for SaaS companies. So thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you. 